Sermon on the Mount, Part 12. Um, as I've gone through this, done that a lot of times, it seems like, but it's always amazing. I was just reading it last night again, and it's things hit you that you don't think about all the time. It kind of depends on we, where we are, I guess, in our lives, and, and that's why it's a living word. Uh, sometimes it can kind of just sit there, and that's probably our fault, but sometimes it kind of jumps off the page and hits you because, uh, you know, the, the spirit who wrote it through the, the authors here, Matthew, is the same spirit that touches us and helps us understand it and apply it. Um, but remember, again, the Sermon on the Mount is for believers, people who uh, are followers of Jesus. comes pretty early in his ministry, and it's kind of answering the question, what does it look like to be a Christian? Why does it matter in this life? You know, we get this idea, one of the problems in evangelical churches is sometimes we get so concerned about making sure people are, you know, making decisions and, and, and following the Lord, which is very important. We're supposed to make disciples that we forget that that's, it's, it's not like a one-off where you do it and then, you know, okay, I'm good now. I don't need to worry about it till I die. Um, you know, the Sermon on the Mount kind of smacks us across the face and says, you know, uh, you know, wake up, fool. This is, this is supposed to be the way we're supposed to live. And so as I read through this, we're, uh, verse 25 in chapter 6, and we'll go to the end of the chapter, um, one of the things that you try to do, because um, you're going to get this in verse 25, we had this before, do not. Do. Um, sometimes we can look at this as oppressive. You know, it's out there. I suppose we all think of that sometimes. You know, I'd wish to do this, but God would want me to do this. So God's kind of a killjoy, we kind of think sometimes. It's like, I don't think we're supposed to look at it that way. Uh, this is supposed to be something that gives us joy, uh, something that makes our lives better. And so, uh, and we'll pray this at the end, but think about it. A really good prayer is, Lord, help me see this as beneficial and joyful to my life because it honors you, not something that's keeping me down, you know. So think about that as we read through this. So verse 25, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither soar nor weep nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, could add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your Father in heaven knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So, Jesus talks about seeking or searching. See this in the, toward the end there in verses 32 and 33. It illustrates that uh, Jesus took it for granted that all people are seekers. Um, now, not all people necessarily seek after God, but they seek after something. We need something to live for, uh, something to give our life meaning, something, as they say, to get out of the bed for, right? Uh, I think we all need that to some extent. And, and we see uh, the the terrible way of looking at it in our culture that, you know, where 
you know, you think about it, there's really two main ways to look at the world, right? Uh, there's what we call a theistic way. The, theos is the word for God. And so if you're not a theist, you're a atheist, yeah. And that's really, that's the two big things, right? And if you're an atheist, you know, and uh, this is a sermon, so I can say, atheists cheat. I don't know if you've noticed. You can't be an atheist and live that worldview uh, because there's no meaning if there's no God. You can make whatever meaning you want, but it's not real. Uh, and I think that's, people don't live that way. Uh, there's really no love. There's really no relationship if it's atheism. Uh, that's why I think it, it says that in the Bible that God puts in every heart that spark of, of being a child of God, being a, a image bearer, as it says in the, in the first chapter of Genesis. So that's in the, the back. We all need some meaning. And, and I think that's a seeking. What are we seeking for? You know, and you get those verses that say, if you, if you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. You know, it's like, I'm there. Because that's out there all the time. I've talked to atheists. They're like, well, he just doesn't give me enough information. I disagree. And I don't know what to tell them, you know. Well, if he would just write something in the sky. It's like you'd probably just say that's somebody fooling you. You know, we just have to remember that it, our, our life is Think about how much more meaning it is just because of what we celebrated just a couple weeks ago with the crucifixion and the resurrection. I mean, that changes everything, and that's in the background here all the time. And what does he do? He does this all the time. I don't know if you're noticing this as a math major and computer science major at uh, Simpson College. Uh, go Storm. Binary is the word you use, you know, zeros and one. It's either this way or that way. There's nothing in the middle. And that's the way Jesus has done this. And we'll see this as we go through chapter 7 here in the next few weeks. So what are the two alternatives here? Seeking your own security or God's rule and righteousness. Um, it's not saying that your own security is not important. It's where you're getting it from. Uh, so Jesus says don't be anxious. Uh, which I know some of you are thinking, man, now I'm anxious about being anxious. <laughs> it's just something we do. And I think you have to be careful with this kind of stuff because we, we tend to beat ourselves up sometimes. It's like, well, I think I'm anxious. I'm not supposed to be anxious. I must not be faithful. Now I'm anxious about that. And, you know, that's when you need to have a good friend is to kind of slap you. I mean, if not uh, actually, but at least figuratively. But and what's he really talking about? You know, you think about the audience here. The audience is first century first century, mostly Palestinian Jews, where food, drink, and clothing were the main things you worried about. Um, if Jesus was here today, he said, you know, do, do not be anxious about your cellular phone plan. Do not be anxious about your cable. Do not be anxious if there's only 108 types of cereal on the shelves and not 136 as normal. You know, it, 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 different cultures. This was big, you know, where you got stuff. The refrigeration systems were not good back then. Um, and technology was a little different. So he says, don't be anxious about it. These are the main things, food, drink, and clothing. This is the thing that you have to have the staples, as they say, of the world. Just so does he think the needs of the body are bad? No. It's just a compare and contrast thing. You always have to remember that. He's warning that to be engrossed in material comforts is false preoccupation. We know this, right? 
I mean, we all kind of understand that we're not supposed to put that first. But why? Well, first of all, it's unproductive because um, we can only control so much. The other thing he seems to say it's unnecessary to worry about. Your father knows you need these things. Um, and it's also unworthy. There's that word again. Uh, it's, it's unworthy of us to focus on that too much. And we had that earlier, you know, store up for yourself treasures in heaven, not store up for yourself treasures on earth. It's not that the treasures on earth are all bad, but they don't last. And this is kind of comes in because if you look in verse 25, in my translation, the first word is therefore. And to quote a Bible teacher, I think his name is Derek Prince. He used to be on the radio when I was driving my 17.2 miles from Waukee to downtown Des Moines as an actuary. Um, he said, anytime you see in the Bible the word therefore, stop and see what it's there for. And that's kind of, so it's summing up the, the, the anxiety, the anxiety scripture is summing up the treasure scripture. It's a, they're, they're not mutually exclusive. They have, they make sense together. So he's asking the question, is physical well-being a worthy object to vote our lives to? Not as primary. I think that's the main thing. Not as primary. This can't be the main thing. Uh, and and I, it, it doesn't mean it's bad. It, it's fine. You know, it's a big industry, you know, working out and all that. And that's good. I think that's fine to try to stay healthy. I mean, I don't think you have to supersize your value meal every time if you don't want to. It's up to you. Uh, the, uh, we have to be careful with that, that we don't get too carried away with that. You, you get that, and you notice the verse is not in here um, because I don't think it's directly applicable. You'll hear this, well, the body is a temple, so you can't, you know, what, smoke, chew, or go with girls to do, right? Uh, the, the, <laughs> the uh, that's from a male standpoint. You can change it. Yeah. But, but I think, you know, we got, we got to do all this good stuff, you know, and it, for our body because the body is a temple. That's not talking about that. That's talking about sexual purity there. Um, you know, the two will become one flesh. It's a different thing. So he's got to be careful with that. I don't know if, if you knew of uh, Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher back in the 19th century in England, uh, a lot of times you can get Spurgeon's sermons. Just a oh, great preacher. Um, and I don't know, Dwight L. Moody, who was about a generation behind him, another great preacher in America who started a lot of wonderful uh, evangelical uh, uh, ministries and, and bringing people to the Lord. And it was wonderful. But the, the story goes, and I don't know if this is a true or if it's just a legend, but that Moody wanted to meet Spurgeon so bad. And so he got the opportunity to go to London, and he finds this thing, and he knocks on his door. He opens the door, and Spurgeon's smoking a pipe. And Moody steps back and says, I can't believe a man of God would smoke a pipe. You know, background. Body's a temple. And Spurgeon didn't miss a beat, takes his finger, pokes Moody in the stomach, and says, I can't believe a man of God is so fat. <laughs> and I think that's it. The body, again, this is not primary. You just got to be so careful with this. I mean, but we can't, and again, you say, well, people like to work out and they like to do this. It's like, so? Maybe they pray when they do it. Maybe it makes them feel better. Maybe they do it with other people. I mean, don't, wait till we get to the next verse, and you can read ahead if you want, uh, about making judgments about people. So he says the Gentiles go after these things, meaning non-Yahweh followers. You have to go by context. 
they chase after these things, but disciples have a greater good. And, and I think First Timothy 4 really gives us a good, if you put these things before the brothers, believers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. He's obviously First Timothy, so he's writing to Timothy. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So I think it's good. I work out. I try to do good. I try to eat well. But not to be too morbid, but I'm going to die. And this body, no matter how fit it is, goes. That's a, that's goes. <laughs> it's a technical term. The, but the, you, the idea of you get the new body, and I'm not saying, again, it's not bad, but where's your focus? I mean... This will smack us all, I think. How much time do you spend worried about food, drink, clothing? Not worried, just de dealing with. Food, clothing, drink, and exercise. And then compare that to how much time you study the Bible. Which one do you think is more important? Which one is a treasure in heaven? Which one's going to last? It's not really that hard, is it? And boy, that, I mean, I'm sitting here the same. I'm like, I, I'm not 50-50 on that. Well, if you count the paid Christian part, maybe. But the voluntary part, no. You know, I think it, we're all there, and can we do better? And, you know, it's, this isn't Jesus' mean guy that's saying this to us. It's Jesus it's like, yeah, yeah, we can do better, you know. You know, I heard Grace Church has got some really good Bible studies. <laughs> you know, and you know they're free? <laughs> And you guys don't know, I used to live in Austin, Texas. Um, that's where I went to seminary. And I think there's around 7.5 billion people in about one square mile. Some around there. It's just everybody, people everywhere. And, uh, and it's uh, the, the big uh, grocery store down there is H-E-B. Uh, you can look up what that stands for. But uh, the, uh, I remember standing in line for an average of 30 minutes to pay for your groceries. So when you go to Hy-Vee today or Fairway tomorrow or Walmart, I would give thanks. Because <laughs> we're mad if, you know, our Whopper takes 35 seconds to cook, you know. It's, it's just a different world. So you spend a lot more time getting your food there because you got to stand in line to pay for it. It just takes a long time. But again, it's of some value. It's not that it's not important. So it's a compare and cost. So he's not forbidding thought either, you know, consider. He wants you to think through this stuff. Or forethought, planning for the future. You know, the people say, well, I just don't worry about the future. Just do whatever we want. No, but anxious thought. And how do we know when we're being anxious? You're probably really sitting on the side of your seat. It's like, how, is, how do we know? Don't get anxious, I'll tell you. This is a Luke 10. If you remember, Mary and Martha were uh, Lazarus' sisters. Uh, they lived in Bethany. We we're pretty sure that's where Jesus hung out. Uh, when he came to town, because he went from there. Um, we even see more likely he hung out there during his last week, too, because he goes, you know, if you, I can't picture this for you, but if, if the temple's here, and then you got the Kid Run Value here, and the Garden of Gethsemane here, right over the hill is Bethany. And so that's probably where he went all the time. But, but Martha, you know, here in Luke 10, was distracted with much serving, and she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. 
But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I love you, know, Martha, Martha. You know, in the lives, it's like, you know, Brian, Brian, you were worried about many things. You just got to hear them. Jesus saying that. Are we, is, this important? is it important to do the dishes? Yeah, it is. Is it important to serve to get the food? Yeah, he's not saying what Martha was doing was wrong, but Jesus is standing there, and Mary is kind of at, at his feet as a disciple of his learning about God. Well, that's a little more important. Word of wisdom. If Jesus shows up at your door, do the dishes later. I mean, that's, that's something we, we, we got to, doing both is fine. And pastors are good at this. You know, if, you come, if I come over to your house and it's time to do the dishes, and I'm like, you know, I've got a better part. It's nothing to do with laziness at all. No, you can't be, don't use this as a, you know, as a, as a way to get away from doing work. That's not the point. But you think about that. It, it, Mary chose the better part. You, you get to John 11, and it's Martha who seems a little bit more faithful, and Mary who seems to be a little upset after her, their brother dies. Um, and then you think about the parable of the seeds that are sown. You've got the one where, as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear the gospel, hear the word. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And the fruit does not mature. Uh, you know, and, and it's tough. You go through tough times. It, it, but again, that's it, not the main thing. You know, your father knows that you need them. That's there. We have to remember that. And then this is a, I think it's a commandment here by Paul. Do not be anxious about anything. <laughs> so if you didn't know, the bar is quite high. Uh, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Does that sound like a promise? The peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is a very good, very, very good scripture. It's one to live by. Do not be anxious about everything. Don't stop there. Keep going. Well, what do I do then? Pray. Pray. It's not really that hard. You know, pray with supplication, meaning asking. Ask, ask. And it wouldn't be a bad prayer, Lord. I think I'm too anxious. Could you help me with that? Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, will, which surpasses all understanding. So there's a peace. This is the peace of God. And, and gotta be, it's a little technical. And it's, you have to, but, but peace from God is what we get when we believe. Because otherwise we're enemies of God, Ephesians 2 stuff, you know, we're under God's wrath. But when we believe in Jesus and, and we take that sacrifice, accept that grace through our faith, then we are washed and Jesus sees us as, or excuse me, the Father sees us as clean as Jesus and worthy of a relationship with him. That's the peace from God. We have peace from God. This is the peace of God. This is kind of subjective. It's kind of emotional. And I don't, so if you're anxious about stuff, just not just, but pray. Have other people pray for you. Focus on God and not on what's making you anxious. Uh, and the peace will come. And that's a promise. And not, don't get cocky, but you can say, God, you said I was supposed to get peace. I'd really like some right now. 
I remember this. I didn't. I was just thinking about that. One of the other Derek Prince, and I think he's passed on now. It was just on the radio station in Des Moines. We didn't have podcasts back then. Uh, we didn't even have internet back then. Somebody's getting old. It's uh, but you know he said that he's like, if you're anxious because you're under the, the circumstances, what are you doing under the circumstances? Why is that bogging you down? And this sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, I don't have any trouble not being anxious when everything's going good. My team's up eight to one, in the bottom of the ninth. I'm not anxious. But when my team's up by one run, in the bottom of the ninth, the base is low, nobody out. I'm starting to get anxious. And that's when we need the peace. That's a metaphor, baseball metaphor. If you didn't know. In life, when things go bad, that's when we get anxious. And that, the whole thing in, in the Philippian Scripture and what Jesus is talking about is our focus on God. Can we do that? And I, I look around here, and I know you guys know, a lot of you know this works. It's not a formula. It's not magic. I guess I kind of look at it as if you, if, one other way you can do it, if, if, you're, if you're anxious about something bothering you and you're trying to get through things, a, a good Christian friend to talk to could help you, right? Well, how much more the creator of the world, the redeemer of your soul, the sustainer of your life? Well, he can really help, and we have access to that. That's why the prayer is there. So, so he's arguing that obsessive worry is incompatible with Christian faith and common sense. Then um, we're going to hit the first one pretty long, the second one pretty fast. We're not our own creator, nor we keep ourselves alive. You look at 26 through 28, the birds of the air, uh, you know, and not being able to add a single hour to your life. Um, the creator takes care of the birds and the lilies, and, and we should be even more sure that our Heavenly Father will look after us. Uh, you look at this and later in Matthew, are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not... One of these will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Those are different numbers for different people. Uh, fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. You know, the birds of the air, you think about that. Um, you ever seen a bird build a nest? It's like, they're moving all over the place. And once you get those hummingbird feeders, and then, then I don't know how many, is it 200 beats a second? I mean, that's all there, but they're still working, right? But they don't, they don't make the trees. They don't, they don't do any of that. The Father does that. That's what creation does, and they just, but they work kind of hard, you know, at it. Um, how do we apply teaching, Jesus' teaching here for us? Believers are not exempt from earning their own living. I think that's in there. In First Thessalonians 3, we get this fairly pointed admonishment, I guess we could say, to the, Thessal the, the church in Thessalonica. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command, those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. So glad that doesn't happen in Denison. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. Now the implication is that you can I mean, it's not talking about uh, just being mean. It's talking about doing what God has gifted you to do. Um, you remember what, did, did God put Adam in the garden to just sit on the couch and have monkeys bring him grapes? And maybe they did, I don't know. 
what did he put him in the garden to do? Work. Huh. And, and watch sports. <laughs> I'm sure that was there. I mean, they did, I don't think they had ESPN 2 yet, but... But you, you look at the birds and the flowers, that kind of shows us that what we're supposed to do. And you know that as well as I do. You know, I remember the production we did, you know, uh, which I thought went pretty well. Uh, and thanks, Joyce, and, and those who helped, and Jack, and those guys. And so many people, that, uh, all the actors and all that. It was so great. But when you get done, it's like, wow, you know. There's some satisfaction there. And that was hard. That was a lot of work. But you did it for God. And and you can do that with anything, right? You know? I don't know if y'all got everything planted yet. I see the farmers around here. But, you know, you can do that for God, right? I mean, you do that because it feeds your family and all those types of things. It's like, it's a privilege to get to work and see the fruits of our labor. So God provides and we cooperate. That's really what it comes down to. I think that's what we're supposed to do. And always be gracious with people. I mean, I hope we do that. If somebody's not working for whatever reason, I don't think we have to assume they're a deadbeat. Um, again, wait till next week. We'll get into that a little bit more. Uh, so believers are not exempt from responsibility for others either. You know, the most basic problem of hunger in the world is not inadequate divine provision, but inadequate human distribution. Um, and there's lots of reasons for that. So the fact that God feeds and clothes His children does not exempt us from the responsibility of being the agents through which He might do that. Um, but always in a helpful, not hurtful way. I wish that certain social entities, let's say, say that that way, that's about as good as I can do, uh, would look at the way God set up the provision of helping others in the Old Testament. Um, two things come through so clearly. Never, ever take away somebody's dignity by telling them they're not worthy to work. You're an image bearer. You have been given gifts. Use your gifts for God's glory. You know, that's kind of the, don't take away their dignity. And we can do it so easily. Uh, I remember in Keokuk, we had the angel tree program um, when I was down there where the police officers and would, would go and, and people would come and they'd give gifts uh, and uh, donate gifts to the families who didn't have enough to give for Christmas. And it was a great program, hearts in the right place at every level. And the first, first guy I ever baptized, Dustin Briscoe, um, uh, became a believer first uh, few months that, that we were there. We went to a house to give some of these gifts to the family. And I remember overtly that the dad went outside. And I always kind of wondered, you know, we were kind of talking about it, and I think it was because he was embarrassed. Um, so Dustin went and told them a little bit about that. And the next year, the, the, the parents came and got the gifts and gave what they could. And then they went and gave the gifts to the kids. Why? To keep the dignity. You don't want to take, I mean, the great heart to give these gifts for these kids. But again, you're taking away the dignity. Don't do that. The other one is don't make them dependent. You know, make each one try as you can, you know. And again, there's a lot of wisdom in this. But that's the old covenant. Remember in Ruth, Ruth comes with Naomi as a foreigner and she doesn't have anything to eat. Does, Bo, do, does Boaz and his 
friends and his co-workers come and get the grain and put it at her door? No, it was that the way it was is you had to leave some rows. We do it for pheasants, they did it for people. You leave some rows that they can come and glee, and you don't pick up the grain, you, that, that's for the people who don't have enough, but they work for it because it gives them dignity, it shows them they have worth, it doesn't make them dependent. And it essentially assures us that what Jesus says here, your father knows that you need this. We've got a system that will work, and I wish we could do more of that. So at least we can do that in our own programs, right, as best we can. So believers are also not exempt from experiencing trouble. It's not saying you're going to be free from trouble, but you should be free from worry. They're not the same thing. Um, Jesus promises that our Father in heaven is aware, and he loves us. So God's children are not promised freedom from work, responsibility, or trouble, only worry. It is incompatible with Christian faith. And again, I know you're kind of getting worried that you're worrying, but again, what do you do with it? pray, focus on God, grab on his promises, come to the church. There are people here to help each other. That's what we do. Uh, emergency situations in our church will give a little bit uh, for somebody we don't know, uh, trying to not take away their dignity and not make them dependent. But if you're part of the church, we'll do whatever we can because that's what we think we're supposed to do. It's different because we have an obligation to each other as believers. So worry is incompatible with Christian faith in the sense if we stay in that and don't grab on to the promises that Jesus says we're not supposed to be anxious, we're essentially telling Jesus that he's a liar. Don't do that. It's also incompatible with common sense. It's probably concerned with some event that may happen in the future. So if you think about it, I don't think I worded this quite right, if you change worry to concern, but if it doesn't happen, if you're worried about something, let's say they hit into a triple play and you don't lose. You know, if, you, if you're worried about something that doesn't happen, you're worried for nothing. And then you've got to go to the doctor and see if you have an ulcer. You can be worried about that. But if it does happen, we've essentially dealt with it twice instead of once. Just common sense, you know. You see that, you know, you, somebody gets diagnosed with something you would never not have them get diagnosed with. And you can sit there and be anxious about it and worry about it, and that's true, but you do what you can, knowing that maybe in the future it won't turn out well, but deal with it in the future. Just do what you can now. I mean, I think that's just kind of what he's getting at. Because, again, verse 34, and I like the way the NIV puts it, today's troubles are enough for today. <laughs> you can't deal with the tomorrow, you can't actually deal with tomorrow's troubles overtly you can plan for them uh, as we as we try to so the specific future is something and this was the children's sermon if you were listening uh, is something we can't be sure that we are essentially that we know we're ignorant about that we don't know you may think you know where you're going to lunch but it, it, you never know one phone call can change all that or in denison sometimes the restaurants just closed you gotta be careful with this that's on mondays usually not sundays but uh, but god's not ignorant about it this is a really cool verse from Isaiah 46. You know, the second half of Isaiah has just got so many cool scriptures that kind of border on, uh, you know, heaven and uh, messianic times. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. I mean, you think about it, and you've got to be a little careful with this, but 
no matter what you're going through, if, the, if it's the worst day of your life, does that mean Jesus didn't rise? Well, no, he still rose. Are you, are you still not his child? Well, does that make a difference? That's the thing. He knows the future. Let's let him take care of it. And I don't know how well we'd do if we did know the future. Probably wouldn't understand it, how to deal with it if we did. But I'd be okay if he wanted to tell me, you know, how the stock market was going to do through Friday. <laughs> yeah, Don't we all have that a little bit? I think I said last week that I'd go ahead and win the lottery because I think I could handle it. Arrogant jerk. No, I probably wouldn't. <laughs> but I think I could. <laughs> yeah. So we do need to live one day at a time, for worry is compatible with Christian faith and common sense. It's distrustful to our Heavenly Father and, frankly, unintelligent. It really comes down with that. And again, I hope you get this. If not, read Philippians over and over again. If you are anxious or worried, what should you do? Pray. Don't forget that. What a privilege. Uh, certainly seek wisdom of others, have other people to help you. I mean, that's fine. Um, but pray. So we're to seek first the kingdom of God. Well, that's a big deal in, in Matthew, obviously, and it's a big deal in, in Jesus' teaching. You know, he is the king, and the kingdom is not of this world, but it permeates this world, which is what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. His rule over his people that he began continues in Jesus Christ and starts here. So that's the thing. This shows us how to be subjects of the king, disciples of his. This is the main thing. So this inherently includes doing what we can to spread that kingdom. We do that by how we act, by what we say, by what's important to us. He tells us that we can be ambitious for ourselves or we can be ambitious for God. Again, Jesus is very binary. No, there's no third alternative. Where is your main thrust? Now, when it's really cool is that the ambitions that we have line up with the ambitions of God. That we want to do what he tells us to do. And one of the best parts of being a Christian is if you get, and it doesn't happen all the time, when you get to the point that your deep desires just happen to line up with what he wants. <laughs> and if they don't, I'd pray for that. Uh, that's really good. When What I really want, what you really want, is exactly what honors him. That's really cool. And you've done it today. You came and worshiped today. He wants that. And that's, that's lining up. How can we do that more? Can we do that more? Because you don't, you know, you don't need to impress me. You don't need to impress anybody around you. You can impress him. And you're not going to impress him, but maybe you can make him proud. That's kind of cool as your father. So seeking God first, this allows those secondary ambitions, material needs, et cetera, all the other things that are important to become healthy too because he says that all these other things, they'll be added to you. Let us pray. Father, we know that uh, from this, what a promise. You know what we need. So anytime we're in want, you're going to give us what we need. Uh, what a promise to grab onto. You do it in a variety of ways. We get to be your hands and feet in many ways. But may we not be anxious about anything in this life. And if we do get that worry and anxiety, may we start praying. 
and have that peace come that you promised, knowing that no matter what happens in life, we have you and we have each other, and those are always the treasures.